Thank you for listening to a special episode of the SoFlo Vegans podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the SoFlo Vegans podcast. I'm your host and founder of SoFlo Vegans, Sean Russell. Joining us on this podcast, we have Keegan Kuhn, who's the co-director of Cowspiracy, What the Health, and the upcoming documentary, Hungry for Justice with Badass Vegan, John Lewis. We have Sean Munson, who is the director of Earthlings, Mark Purcell, the director of The End of Meat and Live and Let Live, and Louis C. Hoyos, who is the director of The Cove, and the game changers we're so glad that you're joining us for this podcast make sure you go to soflowvegans.com slash podcast to hear all of our previous episodes and if you have any questions or want to leave some feedback let us know what you think about the episode email us at contact at soflowvegans.com we would love to hear what you think so Make sure you listen all the way to the end of the podcast because we have a special spotlight on an amazing business here in South Florida, as well as information about how you can get involved with our movement to make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. So with that being said, enjoy today's episode on vegan documentaries only on the SoFlo Vegans podcast you are listening to the so Vegans podcast we're excited for this panel of directors producers um activists people who are passionate about their craft as well as the environment the planet and the animals and introducing starting with uh, sean munson who is the director of Earthlings and Unity. Thank you so much, Sean, for joining us. Happy to be here. Then we have Louis Cijoyos, who is the director, our, who is the director of The Cove, as well as The Game Changers and Racing Extinction. And we appreciate you coming on along with all the other panelists. And then we have Mark Pierschel, who is director of The End of Meat and live and let live. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. And then finally, we have Keegan Kuhn, who is the co-director of What the Health, as well as Cowspiracy. And um, thank you so much for also your support in, in um, securing some of the panelists on this, on uh, this lineup. Thanks so much for having me on. So I want to get started with each of you telling us a little bit about how you got into production how did you get into creating films um that's a something i really want to know from each one of you so we'll go ahead and get started with sean only because i really like that name <laughs> um how do you spell yours by the way i spell it um i, I usually say the right way but it's s-e-a-n <laughs> ah, okay okay um i always wanted to be um uh, a filmmaker ever since i was uh, quite young. I remember seeing, I think it was uh, Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments when I was probably four and the parting of the Red Sea and it was all very epic in scale and it was very, um, if you look at it now, it's almost a bit operatic, you know, because the people are watching and they're going, oh, it's just really very dramatic and I remember going, I remember growing up and I wasn't so much interested in actors, but I was interested in who put put these films together and I learned about who a director was and and so I from a young age I was interested in in directors and that was kind of the beginning okay okay and um what about you Keegan um I was a, a longtime activist and I was a musician I was using music to talk about animal liberation issues and human liberation issues uh, and felt like I was only reaching so many people and I thought about what are the things that have influenced me uh hugely in my life for activism. And one of those things was film. I, I mean, it's an honor to honestly to be on this panel with Sean because um, I saw Earthlings and I'd been vegan for at least 10 years, but that film had such a profound impact on me as an activist that I thought that's something I wanna pursue. I wanna be involved in world-changing, life-changing films. And that's why I dedicated myself to filmmaking. Okay, and Louis? Um Boy, I mean, I wish I would have started a long time ago. I was a, a photographer for I don't know, 35 years or so before this. 
Um, but basically, I, I met our, this guy, Jim Clark, the, the founder of Netscape Silicon Graphics and WebMD, and we were traveling the oceans together. I was teaching him how to, basically, how to take, take photographs. We were doing underwater photography, and um, we were, you know, I guess those origin stories, we were coming out up from a dive in the Galapagos. We saw a legal, a long-line fisherman in a marine sanctuary, and he said to me, you know, somebody should do something about this. And I said, uh, how about you and I? And... Uh, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, we'll use your money in my eye. We'll make films. And that's how we got into it, really. Um, wow. But it was a, you know, and the first film we did was The Cove. And, awesome. And uh, Mark, what about yourself? Um, I don't have a background in film, film school or making films. I studied sociology and uh, it was just out of DIY that I thought, oh, there's no documentary about the issues I wanted to make. And then I said, Okay. So it sounds like you all have a, a very uh, different types of background and how you got into this. Now, staying a little bit into the production before we start talking more about the topics that you guys cover, what would you say is the most difficult aspect of putting together uh, a film, uh, specifically a documentary? What is something that has been something that you almost dread when you're going through this production process and we'll, we'll start with Keegan this time. Uh, the thing that I dread is uh, the organization that's involved to do a film efficiently and, and as quickly as possible, you need to be really well organized. And that's not something that I'm particularly strong at trying to get interviews with hard to reach people. That is a, that is the thing I dread most. And what about you, Mark? Um, well, financing, depending on the budget you need, always difficult, especially if it's a difficult subject and it's hard to find funders and then you want to do crowdfunding, that's a whole another load of work. So mainly the funding and um, using the crowdfunding. Well, um, what about yourself, um, Louis? Oh, yeah, I, I agree that the funding is probably the, you know, the hardest part. And it, you know, it's also, you know, when I look back, it's really the you know, meeting some of the people that do end up putting putting up the money, it's like they're really interesting people because they're, you know, generally people that uh, want to change the world, and so you you know you have that in common, and um, so those those people are always interesting. So you know, there's a lot of you know noise to signal in terms of you know getting the money, but you know you're always connected to interesting people. Whenever whenever you're trying to do this kind of work, I think you're gonna you're gonna run across interesting people. So that's that's the silver lining. In the dark side of it but you know just and just keep, keeping everything on track you know like when you when you we test our films several times throughout the process to be sure that they're working and it's always a disappointment you know when you when you get back the first notes of the first rounds it's like oh you know um i was at a dja meeting and martin scorsese says you always want to keep the, the sharp knives away you know when you, when you do the rough cut and test it because you always think you're going to do something like you know the you know the Lawrence of Arabia, and it's it comes back and it looks like shit. It's just the way it the way it is. And if you know that's part of the process, but you're aiming towards a goal, you you can get there. But the idea is not to get too despondent. That is part of the process. Okay, and um, Sean, I agree with all of them. Um, um, it's it's quite funny, I guess, as a uh, as a filmmaker, because it's really sort of this act of prophecy where you're telling people at the beginning, it's going to look like this. You're going to feel like this when you watch it. You're going to be excited. You're going to be sad. I mean, you're we're, we're really visually sort of not lying, but we're telling them how they're going to feel possibly years from now. And um, so there's a bit of a song and dance. And I think each new film is almost like another uh, it's like you're starting all over. I mean, it's good if you have a couple under under your belt, but um, it's like if you've done one thing and you're attempting maybe something else, you almost have to re-convince them that you could also tackle something quite different. So that's kind of colorful. You know, that's kind of interesting. But I'll say this. I'll say probably the most tricky thing for me lately, just, just personal, is um, I've been um, second guessing what I think might have maximum impact. Second guessing things I've been developing or researching and might be very interesting to me, but 
will it reach a large number of people quickly or will it be a slow build? And um, I found myself preoccupied with that quite a bit with various ideas that I'm, I'm nurturing. So kind of dipping into the reality that we're facing right now, obviously, you know, life has changed for every single person across the planet. And one of the big things that kind of goes along the line through all of your films is you're talking about big topics, you know, topics that impact all of our lives, whether or not we see eye to eye on what you're talking about, it's still talking about these large subject matters. How has your personal viewpoint impacted the films that you've created? You know, what did you bring from yourself into these projects? And you could speak on a number of them. You could speak on one in particular, but I want to know like what's, what's personally drove you to handle that subject matter. And um, we'll, we'll get started with Mark. I think it's just the vision. I mean, you have the idea and, if it's something that you believe in, and the idea is everything that you need to drive the thing forward. And you always, I mean, as Sean was saying, second guessing is always a big part of it, that you are not convinced that the idea will reach the correct audience or that many people or other people are as excited about it as you are. But I think that's the most important part that you have to be convinced this is the right subject, the right idea to make it strong. Will have an impact. So, for example, for the um, for the end of meat, when you made that film, I'm sure you had you could have picked any other topic within this space. What specifically made you want to make that film at that time? Uh, it was just the idea of how a future perspective would look like, how the world would look like if we stopped using animals, we stopped exploiting animals. It wasn't like a, like a film or a vision around that idea, and then. I started looking into it, and it was really exciting finding all these um, activists or scientists or philosophers working on small projects that um, put together the film or the ideas. Okay. And what about you, Keegan? Uh, I mean, I'm super fortunate that I, all the films that I've done have been issues that I'm personally excited about and or, or interested and want to learn more. And so that's a big motivator for me is that I, I want to learn more. And so during that process, I get to make a film about it. And so Cowspiracy looks at the environment and I learned so much while making that film, you know, so having that curiosity and wanting to dig deeper, that's really what's made it possible for me to make all these films. And do you, and do you see this going off of that a little bit when you make these films, Cowspiracy and What the Health, where we are right now, do you see maybe some of the skeptics that might have been around when the films came out? Do you hear a shifting in that conversation or do you feel like it's pretty much the same when you made those films? You know, it's definitely there's a shifting in, in the whole consciousness around how we look at food and the impacts of food on the animals, the planet and our own health. Um, so it, it's definitely we're, we're we're moving forward, I think, in, in leaps and bounds as, as far as a global society on being open to this information that all of these filmmakers are doing. Okay. And um, Sean, same question for you. Well, um, just going off that last point, you know, there may, may there really may be only four criteria that a, 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 a film really matters with. And the fourth one's probably the most important, which is, course first would be the box office or maybe streaming numbers um second would be the critics third would be the awards and then fourth would be time um so if uh we were able to harness something impactful enough that would endure for time then the all the resources effort toil etc that would go into the making of a film could potentially reach many generations for years and years to come that's really maximizing it. Um, but again, that comes back to my earlier point, which is a sort of an act of prophecy uh, early on. And um, uh, I, I get very, very excited about certain issues. I tend to work quite slow. I'm really picky. I don't make a lot of movies and I probably overthink it a lot. But, um, um, but having done a couple and realizing just how much bloody work it takes to do them, it seems that uh, um, 
for messages like these, we should you know, try to reach the largest audience possible with a subject matter that most people find way too confronting. And um, it's asking something of them while they're viewing the movie, which is um, confrontational in a way. So you're kind of behind the eight ball by way of subject matter in general, let's say animals from the start. And the environment too, or health, you know, all three are sort of, it's not super sexy, you know, although I got to give Louis props because he did a hell of a job on that last one. That was pretty sexy the way he did Game Changers. So mm-hmm. it didn't feel, um, it didn't seem preachy or confronting. It seemed exciting. You'd want to see it. You'd want to get into it and welcome it. And that's the reaction I saw from a lot of colleagues as well. They really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. And then um, finally, Louis. Yeah, well, well, thanks, Sean. I mean, Sean and I have a long history. We've, uh, uh-huh. um, you know, we've. He came out with Earthlings way before I did. I was not vegan at the time. That film was part of the process that maybe actually take that final leap. But you know, Earthlings. Uh, I, I remember I was at a at a party in in Hollywood. It was a fundraiser for Sea Shepherd, and I was talking to one other person, and I. I didn't know it, but Sean was right next to me. And this woman, they were showing our film. Well, the Cove is a, is a fundraising um, vehicle. And I wasn't watching the film, and neither was Sean. And I was talking to this other woman. I said, well, she said, great film, you know, wonderful to do something like this that had this so impactful. I said, well, probably the most impactful film anybody could see was Earthlings. And she goes, you know, he's the director. And I had no idea. I had no idea that was, that was Sean. But we, we've been in touch over the, you know, for the last 12 years or so, talking about, okay, you know, the cove is a little bit like Earthlings, very difficult to see because, you know, it had his film was like, you know, full on, you know, Slaughterhouse Five, you're immersed in it. Ours only had like a, you know, maybe a three minute section in there, but that was enough to repel people from the box office. All the awards got people to see the film, a lot of it, but we still, it was very effective. They were killing 23,000 dolphins and porpoises a year in Japan when we made that, that film. And I think they killed about 1,610 the last year that there was, you know, mm-hmm. tally. So it was, it was impactful, but a lot of people still haven't seen it. And so we've been talking for the last, you know, 12 years about how do you make a film that people, that'll change people. Cause I would, I would say that the most important thing that we can do is that is be impactful and you can make a film that makes you feel right. Or you can make a film that's effective. And, or, you know, maybe, maybe both, but really it's a, you have to change your, I, we had to change your idea because I don't want to spend five years on a film and have it. I don't, I don't give a damn about the awards. Really. It's, I care about the impact because, and, but to give some hope here, there's, there's some really great science that shows you only need 10% of the population to be a hundred percent committed to an idea. Well, it's, Google it. If you're, if you're out there, it's called the, the science of social change is the, is the study It's the paper. And it's not 3%, it's not 6%, not 7 That's In 17, you've gone too far. But they, they ran the, the algorithms with the suffragette movement, the civil rights movement, and Arab Spring. And it's 10% of the population, 100%. And that's, that's almost like the boiling point, you know, mm-hmm. that once you've, you know, and, you know, depending on who you're talking to, we're somewhere, people that identify as vegetarian is, is now, I think, up to 7%, something like that. You know, those people are really flexitarians. But I think once we get to that, you know, that other three percent, that next three percent, then we'll start to see that those numbers take off because that's all I care about uh, is is the social change. And, and I've seen this happen with other movements I've been on. If you look at, you know, the electric car movement, you know, 10, 12 years ago, you know, I had uh, three electric cars completely powered by solar energy. People thought we were nuts. I mean, there was at that time, there was only two other electric cars in Colorado that I knew of. I'm in California now, but. I was a loony. Mm-hmm. And now you look at it, it's, you know, Tesla is worth more than, you know, all the American car companies combined. And, you know, and these, these technological revolutions, and this is a, don't get, don't look at this as a, um, you know, it's a, it's a philosophical argument. It's a climate change argument, but it's also a technology, you know, argument that you, you could argue that food is a technology. And it's a very primitive, archaic technology. And there's new, better ones out there. You know, the like, you know, Pat Brown from Impossible says, you know, the the cow's not getting any better. 
but you know the, our ability to make veggies taste better and get that word out is just skyrocketing you can you look at you look at the numbers you know i'd be terrified if i was in the dairy industry or the meat industry we're winning sometimes it doesn't feel like that because we're and it didn't feel like that you know when the electric car movement it, it felt like we were loonies like we're all we're all kind of loonies here right or that's what's what binds us we're, we see we're imagining a better a better future and we just we just can't understand why the rest of the world doesn't see it the way that we do it, whether our lens is through animal rights or philosophy or speciesism or whatever it is, but finding a way to talk to people so that they can get it and understand it, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, found, we, we came in through health. We, we looked at the numbers, you know, the vegan mafia, they did a white paper and they said, well, listen, we're putting all, these, all this money into PETA, these, these you know, animal rights organizations, and the numbers are stuck. We're stuck at three to five percent of the population. It's, and it's not a bigger billboard. It's not another magazine ad. You know, there's something wrong with their messaging. And we just looked at what the blockade was. And it was basically males. You know, young males that are marketed to were told from a very young age that we have to have meat to be big and strong. And the typical vegan, you know, just a stereotype with purple hair and a nose ring, you know, giving it an animal rights message isn't, isn't convincing, you know, because... They, they, they want it, until you disprove that it's normal, natural, and necessary. You're, we're just, I think we're just, you know, we're, we're behind the eight ball because we're, we're not speaking to what they care about. And I think the game changers, we try to, you know, look at the data and see, you know, look at the, you know, young males will look at aspirational athletes or, you know, we didn't just pick somebody in a, not saying that anybody here did that, but like, you know, we didn't just pick somebody with a lab coat that agreed with us. We, if you look at the game changers, it's the, the head of nutrition at Harvard, the head of sustainability at Yale, you know, on and on. It's just like we, we, the best departments of the most respected Ivy League schools in the entire world are in the film. And so it feels like, well, there is overwhelming evidence, but we didn't like, you know, we, we went to the top, you know, of everything we did. So we thought, okay, let's, let's not have to cover this again. And it's working. The numbers show that, you know, in the first nine days, Game Changers was on iTunes. It was the best selling, the, the top docu- documentary in the first nine days of all time. And, oh. and in the first 30 days it was on Netflix, it, you know, plant, the searches for plant-based diet as a, as, as a Google trend went up 350% worldwide. So it's working, you know, and we only have a very little part of animal rights in that film. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it feels like it's working, but we're still not at that ten percent number. So we all have a lot of work to do. And you know, going back to obviously, the reason I wanted to have this panel is because the documentaries are just a powerful way of starting a conversation, of pointing people into a, a place where it's entertaining and it's a strong, valuable resource. But also, there's that conversation we have amongst ourselves when we are trying to be strong, effective communicators. And this question actually flows right into that. Because we do, if you're listening to this, we are encouraging you to ask questions. This is ideally is going to be a live conversation between us and everyone that's watching. So this question comes from Giuliano Graffiti. And he wants to ask, do you think it's important to avoid saying the word vegan in movies? So if anyone wants to tackle that one first. We went back and forth on this. We, 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 we tested it. And, you know, v- vegan is one of those words that's a, is a, you know, it's a four-letter word. It used to be, but I think it's now, you know, becoming part of a, it's, it's fashionable. It's becoming trendy. It's still, you know, it's, it's loaded. But it was really, it's really difficult in the film to say to somebody, you know, use the word plant-based instead of vegan. You know what I mean? Because you're, you, if you have somebody on camera, you can't, you know, architect what they're going to say so much you can maybe frankenstein it later but you know you try to avoid that um but i think vegan's just going to be it's going to be normal it's going to be like cars are going to be electric food's going to be vegan and you know we're at that stage where it's loaded but you know um i don't know i i i I, from the time we made game changers to now i mean at the the beginning of i would say plant-based oh my god don't use that word now it's like of course, vegan. So it just comes out of my mouth easily. I'm not afraid of it like I was because we're no longer, we're part of the vanguard. We're not part of the, the niche crazies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in our films, we made a very conscious effort not to use the word vegan until at least 50 minutes into the film because we felt <laughs> like 
you drop vegan in too early and people say, oh, I don't want to watch this propaganda film. But if you can get an audience emotionally involved and emotionally engaged in the film, and also 50 minutes in, they're already, they've invested the time, they want to see the end of it, you can introduce the word vegan and not have that knee-jerk reaction where if you, you know, and not to say that it's it's, it's wrong, it's just the, what we felt like was going to be the best way. And then you know, with, as Louis said too, we did a lot of test screens with our films. And if we introduced the word vegan too early, people went, mm. even the concept of plant-based for a lot of audiences where they were turned off, we had to build up a really strong argument before we can introduce the solution. Okay. What about Sean and Mark? Uh, go ahead, Mark. Um, yeah, I think it's um, it's gotten a lot different because there's not that stigma attached to the word vegan anymore. So it's become more of a trendy thing, at least here in Germany. But um, in my new film, uh, it wasn't intentionally, but the word vegan only appears one time, at, almost at the end. And um, someone else pointed pointed it out to me, and it was really surprising that. It didn't appear. It's a it's a story about the first um, cow sanctuary in Germany, and the movie was actually in theaters when the um, cinemas closed because of the um, corona um, coronavirus. But um, yeah, so I I don't have a problem using that. And Sean, do you have a? I agree with uh, my fellow panelists. Yeah, uh, it is funny as as filmmakers we sort of do a little tap dance where we're trying to things we'd like to say, or sometimes we're working with not one hand but two hands tied behind our back. And sometimes that's where the great creativity could come. Uh, and other times it might seem inhibiting, um, you know, things we shouldn't show, shouldn't say. Yeah, I think I think any of us here, I'm sure, have thought about that on all three stages, the writing, the shooting, and certainly the editing, the three stages where a film is born, um, where you are, you know, we do so much for the audience, really, for them. It's, um, I guess if we were making films that weren't related to these issues, we'd probably just do, if, if, and if money wasn't an issue, we'd do what we wanted and let them scoff as they please, let them come and see it or not. But in this instance, we speak to be understood. So if we have to modify, then I think it's okay. So, so as I mentioned earlier in the conversation, all of your films, if you like put them together, they cover a wide range of topics, especially from the environment, the animals, health, your connection, um, how we all relate with each other in terms of um, being speech, being um, of this earth. So if there's one singular topic that is probably near and dearest to your heart that you could make a hundred documentaries about, what would be that topic and why is it, why is that so, um, such a passionate topic for you? And um, we'll, we'll start with Keegan. Um, I'm an ethical vegan first and foremost, and that's the issue that I care the deepest about. The environmental impact is obviously huge and important. Health impact is obviously huge and important. The social justice aspect is important. Um, but how we treat fellow earthlings is the biggest thing for me. I haven't made a, an ethics film because there's phenomenal filmmakers like Mark and Sean who are tackling that subject and doing it so well that I feel like to throw my hat in the ring, I'm not going to add anything better than they have already done. And, and are continuing to do so that's the issue i care the most about but i probably won't you won't see a film straight on ethics from me okay and what, what about you um louis oh boy i mean I, I i that's a tough one because you know when i get into a film you can take a million left turns and each one of them is a is a beautiful turn you know i remember when we were doing the cove i started doing a research on when did insects come into the into the picture you know and it's like man it's a whole just world of just insects i mean uh, everything's beautiful and everything's interesting you know when you get to be you know i'm six i just turned 63 i, I think well how much time do i have left i don't have 100 films in me you know i've got a you know maybe a dozen so i, I i'm interested in, in anything that's going to scale social change so we can evolve to the next level i feel like you know we're we could do so much better as a species, so much better. And food, anything around food, because food is at the nexus of, of health, the environment, um, you know, species extinction, the coronavirus, you know, we're, we're all talking to each other, all sheltered in place because of our, relation, our dysfunctional relationship with animals. Mm -hmm. um, so food is endless, you know, and, I, and it's very, you know, I, th I think, but learning how to talk about food is really important because, you know, food is like, obviously, as we all know, 
is it's very supercharged. It's like, you know, it's like saying somebody's favorite band sucks or your religion is really stupid, you know, and you have to be really delicate. And, but but it's but then again, it's like you have one of the, the richest emotional experiences in your life with food. It's the, the one thing that embodies almost every every sense that you have, unlike almost anything else. Right. It's mm -hmm. emotional. You have taste, you have touch, you have smell, everything. And I mean, that's, you know, I, I know I'm drifting here a little bit, but I think that's what, you know, what I, I, th I think we have to remember is that, you know, most of the population, and I'm, again, I'm taking some, because I've been re reading a lot about Pat, Pat Brown and, the, and his mission. It's, it's like people aren't eating animals because of the animals they are doing it in spite of the animal. Mm. So then in that nexus, you have to figure out like, why is that, that, you know, they like the taste of it. You know, that, that they're very emotional. We're very primitive animals. And so we have to do a better job, you know, showing that it's like, you know, food porn. Food is sexy. It's, it's beautiful. It tastes great. You know, and, and you know, we've done a, a horrible job, I think. Um, I was just talking with uh, uh, Netflix a, a couple of, well, yesterday. And, you know, I, I watched all of, you know, the chef's tables. You know, there's like, I don't know, 50, 50, 50 episodes in the series. And I love them all, but they're, some of them are hard to watch because they're cutting up animals and stuff. And they're, they're disgusting, but they, they do such a great job of making food look tasty, you know? And there's only one vegan in the program, and they didn't use that word. It was a, a Buddhist chef, you know? And then about halfway through the show, they were three quarters of the way through the show, they revealed that she was vegetarian. I was like, wow, that's interesting. There's like... So they're speaking to that market. You know, people just want to, they want things to taste good. And I think we're, maybe we're, maybe we're punching above, we're, we're punching above the weight of where people are, mm. you know, when we're talking, you know, about ethics, you know, we, we, we don't, again, like you were saying that the, you know, we don't bring in, you know, like ethics, like you didn't bring in like the word vegan until at least halfway through. We don't talk about ethics, you know, at all, but if we do have somebody talk about it, it's like you know Damian Mander who has searched and destroyed tat tattooed across his chest. He's like, you know, jumping out of helicopters and you know shooting people. So it's it goes against type, you know, because that's where people are. I mean, I would I would love to you know my my favorite movies are real cerebral, but you know I can't get people to my, a lot of my friends to watch those movies. You know, like I I saw I, I I have to I'm not saying I have to dumb it down, but I have to like. You know, certainly with an audience, you have to, if you're trying to show the film, not just for yourself, you have to, you're trying to impact, you know, culture at scale, you have to figure out where, how are people going to listen to you? You know, Michael Moore said the first, you know, not, not that I agree with everything he says, but uh, first rule of filmmaking is you got to be entertaining. Hmm. Now, you know, so, and I think that's, that's a lesson for anybody that's involved in film, I, you know, and so that's, you know, First thing I always think about is, okay, I know where I want to go. I want people to be, you know, getting off the animal products. How we get there, you know, is the avenue, that the, the stair step of the act one, two, three, that you, you know, at the end of the day. But, you know, unlike a Hollywood film, where it's, you know, it is all about box, you know, box office, you know, the audience is $10 in a box of popcorn. Our goal is to get people to change. You know, so we can, you know, we could make a gazillion dollars and win, you know, a, a, a whole, you know, shelf full of awards. But if I haven't changed the, you know, you know, the, a single person, you know, to, to become, uh, you know, to get rid of the animals of their diet, I failed. Mm -hmm. You know, so the goal is impact, not, you know, popcorn. Okay. And, um, and Sean? Yeah, um, it's funny because there's something I've been working on lately that I've been quite excited about, and and it 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 sort of became quite clear that oh here's a great way to get people excited about this, and basically it's a Trojan horse. It really is. It's the Trojan horse. It's a um, Trojan horse, of course, was deceptive. If you know your Homer, if you know the Iliad, you know it was uh, completely deceptive. Um, but they welcomed it, the people welcomed it. And I thought, well, if, if, um, if the three main doors that we address, which we've already talked about, which is animals, ethics, health and environment are sort of off-putting, then um, what's the magic combination? Because those have been the three sort of mainstays. 
activists or advocates have used to educate with those three. And they can be quite compelling when you delve into them, if you can get through that initial, oh, we're gonna talk about this. Oh, okay, we're gonna talk about this now. Um, but I, I, you know, I found something that I think is um, super compelling. And it's a little bit like what, what Louis talked about with electric car, with innovation, essentially, with this whole other avenue um, that's interesting to people and compelling to people. And you can look at examples in history and see it. You can see uh, disruption and how it changed things. And it was not by activists at all. You know, when um, Henry Ford, the first, was asking people when he made the car, you probably all heard this famous quote. He said he was going around saying, what do you want? A lot of people said the same thing. I want a faster horse which I think is hilarious. Uh, I want a faster horse. And horsepower, of course, was terminology for the internal combustion engine. And of course, if you look at that photo, that classic photo of New York City, Fifth Avenue, Easter Day Parade, 1900, you know, it's nothing but horse and buggy. You can, it's a classic photo, you can just look it up. And there is one, ho uh, there is one automobile in there. And about 12 years later, Easter Day Parade, Fifth Avenue, New York City, it's all automobiles and where's the horse? Uh, a, dis a form of disruption that changed things for the better. Um, and we've seen it repeatedly over the years from the printing press uh, to the television, to the internet, um, to solar, to electric and um, food innovation, food as software, which we have been doing for a long time. Alcohol was a perfect example of manipulating grains and hops to create something else. Even oils to squeeze an olive and take out all the water and the fiber and create create an oil or even a dairy product, cheese um, or yogurt or ice cream to change the components of something. We've been doing it for a long time. So it's not really as earth shattering as the public might think. For some reason with meat, it seems like fake meat. Mm. We're getting over that now. Last year's IPO with Beyond Meat, I think really helped show people, okay, hang on, this is, this is interesting, um, which I, I was there to film, which was kind of cool. Um, it's not fake meat. Like Louis said earlier, it's food. It's just better food. I mean, here, here's a, I have an iPhone 11. I have the most recent iPhone. It, it's not a fake Nokia. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a better phone, you know? And, and if I want a flip phone, I guess I can go back and get the Nokia and I can push the little buttons. It'll call people, it'll text, communicate, do, you know, do what it says it does. It's obsolete. We don't use it anymore. And when cost parity is reached with plant-based foods, when cost parity is reached and they realize, hang on a second, there's 3.3% protein in a glass of milk. 3.3% protein. We're going to grow, grow this cow. We're going to impregnate this cow. We're going to grow this cow. We're going to take the baby away. We're going to spend years to extrapolate 3%. You're mm -hmm. telling me you could do 3% with a plant or a nut or a seed in three days or four days? Mm. Yeah, well, even, even, the, even the animal people will say, forget it. It's too expensive. It's pain. And they're going to change. And they're going to push that change too. Now, I wish we could say we did it for ethical reasons. Which is something we can do for health reasons or for the environment. But if that's the door we went through, then um, I'll, I'll welcome it because the animals will benefit, people will benefit, the environment will benefit. And what, what about you, Mark? Um, I'd have to say ethics as well is the one thing that inspires me the most and what inspired me to do um, The End of Meat um, was reading Zupolis, a book by Will Kimlick and Sue Donaldson. And basically talking about how the world would change or how the world would look like if we really um, respected the rights of not just domesticated animals, but also wild animals. So respecting wild spaces and the animals' territories. And I found that so inspiring that um, I made the film. And I think that's um, what's, what's the most important thing is to find stories that inspire people, especially if you ask yourself, who are, who are you making these films for? And it's not just um, the people we want to convert, but also the activists or the people that are already involved in the movement because they, I think, need to be inspired and showing them what's possible because, you know, when you're doing activism, when you're doing films and you know the reality, then it can be quite devastating if you know the numbers, but you give them stories that inspire them and that show them that a future without animal exploitation is possible and how it could look like, then I think that can inspire change and also help them inspire other people to say, hey, look, this is what we can achieve if we stop exploiting animals. So I think there's plenty of ideas for future films to be made with just the idea of um, future concepts of society and uh, human-animal relationships, how they could look like. 
and and since since we're speaking to you right now, Mark, someone did have a question for you regarding the film that you mentioned earlier. So I'm going to bring it up from Dee Dee Dillingham. So what are the plans, Mark, for rolling out the film about the first cow sanctuary in Germany once the virus is behind us? And that's from Dee Dee um, Dillingham. It's actually this film. The poster is behind me. It's called Budenland, and um, it was released on February 6th. Mm theatrical in Germany and it was in its sixth week when the theaters closed. So we're currently planning the DVD VOD release. It's going to be on June 12th. So you can um, pre-order the VOD and the DVD shortly. And we're still trying to find uh, other distributors in other countries. But um, so far, uh, no luck, but we're working on that. But uh, yeah, you can go to blackrabbitimages.org and you can sign up for the newsletter and you'll hear about when it's out. And, and I guess that leads to a bigger question as to how has the pandemic impacted projects that you may be working on right now or ideas that you're getting ready to get greenlit? Um, how has this, where we are right now, impacted your ability to create? So if I could jump in on that, I, uh, seven, almost eight months ago, started working on a film about pandemics, about zoonotic pandemics. Um, and that film is on hold. You know, we were about to do 40 interviews and things scheduled and travel bans have prevented all of that. So it has definitely impacted that film. It is also very bizarre to be making a film about zoonotic pandemics and all of a sudden end up in a global pandemic. Um, if we could have been six months sooner, it would have been a lot nicer. Um, but I think it's I think that what this pandemic is doing is also changing up the industry a little bit because people are watching films, they're consuming films really at a much higher rate than they normally would. Um, streaming services are seeing a huge bump in viewership. Documentaries in particular are seeing more viewership than they normally do. So I think in for this industry in particular and for documentaries, it's it, exclusively this is a real positive for moving socially conscious films forward okay and um what about you um sean uh yeah similar of course um we're working on stuff and things you know got put on hold obviously it would be great to have just finished shooting and you could spend all this time cutting um but um I don't know. I I, uh, I also look at it as an opportunity to uh, write more and um, concentrate more on on messaging. Maybe um, just maximize time in another way. And yeah, yeah. There's been a few ideas that we even were developing that were to be done remotely, you know, virtually. Um, but maybe we just were supposed to take a take a minute, you know. Um, Maybe it, uh, you know, some have theorized that, you know, we are the virus and Corona was the white blood cells. And, mm. You know, it sounds horrific, but um, that's because we tend to think that humans are the center of, of everything. You know, all uh, other issues of divisions we have aside, we tend to think we're sort of the center. Other things are here for us. So, um, this sort of sh shook us up, shook everything up, took the ground up from underneath us. And it's probably good, probably a good thing. It would do us good. So, yeah. <laughs> and Mark? Um, yeah, as I said, well, uh, we were impacted when the film was in its sixth week in German theaters and second week in Austria, I think. So we still had a lot of screenings scheduled and we we're hoping to... Um, do them when theaters open, but no one really knows when that will be, so it's a bit uncertain. So we're um, preparing the DVD and VOD release, so working from home ever since. It hasn't been much of a change, and um, also working on ideas for new projects. And then Louis? Well, um, we're actually working on a film on the pandemic and food right now, so it's, uh, it's actually a good time to, to uh, to do production because everybody's sheltered in place. It's actually uh, a lot cheaper, you know, because I, I'm talking to, you know, epidemiologists and virologists just like we are right now. And you don't have the crew, you don't have, you're saving tons of money. So you don't have to fly around. So it's, it's, it's actually been a good thing, but you know, we have about five other projects that are very much on hold because of it. Um, but 
you know, that's, I guess when you look at the business, it's like, you know, there's people dying, there's people mm-hmm. losing their jobs. We're, we're, we're pretty damn good, you know, right now. So, you know, knock on wood, we're, you know, we'll, we'll get through this, but you know, the, the, the main thing is getting people to realize, you know, why we're here. Like, wh- why did this happen? You know, I, I went to, you know, I was in, in Guangzhou um, after the SARS outbreak and, you know, they, they opened the markets up selling the same animals that caused it three months later, mm. you know, so in the, the same, almost exact same conditions were, were created in Wuhan, you know, maybe a different intermediate species, but it's a bat coronavirus. You know, they actually eat bats in China for the belief, you know, for tr- uh, traditional Chinese medicine under the belief that if you eat a bat because it has, you know, night vision, it can see that that's why bats and bat coronaviruses are in the market, you know, mixing with these spillover species. Mm-hmm. So it's a, until, until we address that, you know, this, this, you know, we're all at the mercy. I'm sorry, but if China and Asia, if they don't get those bats out of the market, we're going to have this happen again. You know, this is, this is, it's happened once and it's happened twice now. I mean, like, when are we going to learn, you know, that we you know there's a great, you know, maxim by Margaret Mead that says, you know, one, they never doubt that one thoughtful citizen can change the world. And indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Well, unfortunately, it works the other way. Mm. You know, one thoughtless person can screw up the world. Look at look at where we're at right now. I lost, you know, we're losing friends. We're all like losing, you know, $10 trillion and counting. 25 million people out of jobs in the U.S. Just because of some batshit crazy idea that, you know, eat a bat's going to help your vision. And, you know, and I, what I tell people is like, it's not just... You know, Asians with bats. We what, what could be bat more batshit crazy than eating animals? You know, you know, cows. Cows are really fake vegetables. You know what I mean? We're 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 filtering all those vegetables through a cow, and then we're eating it. You know, fake fake meat. Screw that. It's, it's a, you know, cows are fake vegetables. <laughs> so. Let's go back a little bit into the filmmaking process just for a little bit. And in terms of being an effective communicator and putting out this message to the masses, I haven't seen anything work as well as documentaries because people can quickly point to it. It has that entertainment aspect. What would you say to someone who is interested in creating content? You know, it may not necessarily be a full feature length film or documentary, but maybe just getting started. What advice would you have for them? Like just to get their foot in the door. And we can yeah. go with Keegan because it sounds like you want to say something. Yeah. yeah, I think the biggest thing is knowing your audience, you know, knowing what speaking to your audience directly. And, and if your audience is a vegan community, then cool, you, you should know that audience, but always think about who is this content intended for and what's there gonna be their perspective on this and stepping outside of your bubble. I think that's probably the biggest thing on making films effective is, is doing it, always keeping your audience in mind. And uh, Sean? Well, you know, what's interesting too, uh, um, it came up to a question you asked earlier about, you know, maybe t- subjects we're inspired in. Uh, because a filmmaker does have to have a lot of passion for something. You got to have a, because it's going to take you a long time, you know, to do it. It's a certain period of time, and so to keep that energy level up high. In fact, it was one of Keegan's films. Um, forgive me, Keegan, I forgot the title right. Running for good, running for good, uh, which he sent me a, a copy of before it came out, and I had a chance to watch it. It was just marvelous. I thought it was a wonderful film about this 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 British runner, right? This woman, uh, uh, older woman, it's just incredible story. And um, I knew nothing about this person, uh, who, who she was, I knew Keegan. And he followed her one ginormous race after another, right? These insanely, uh, what are they, Keegan? They're bigger than marathons or something? Or they're just yeah, daily marathons? Ultra marathons, multi-day stage races, right. 150 miles. Yeah, or in, the, or in the Sahara. I don't even know how your equipment held up through some of those locations. And only a filmmaker with a passion about a certain story. Only he could have told that because I wouldn't have done it. And I don't know if anybody else here would have done it, but Keegan did it, and I'm grateful he did. Um, that's the beautiful thing about even a new filmmaker, you said your question, what would you say to somebody? That, that, that person might have something that only they could tell, only they could impart to the rest of the world. And today, you know, we, we, I, I sat uh, once uh, at the feet of uh, uh, the great Ridley Scott. I was literally, he was right in front of me. I was in the front row and he said, you have no excuse. 
You have no excuse today. He says, your phone is a better camera than Orson Welles ever had. Um, he said, you got distribution right there. It comes free with any laptop. He says, you have no excuse. You have no excuse. Go make whatever you want, put it out there. And um, so it was encouraging to hear from a, a Titan like that who came up a different way to say, get out there and tell your story. <laughs> and uh, Mark? I would just say, um, believe in yourself. I mean, if, you have, if you're making the first film, you might have doubts as to how it will turn out and who's going to watch it. But if you have a great idea and um, want to make a film, go for it. I mean, it's, it's easier than ever. And uh, yeah, if you believe in your idea, then just try it out and see where it goes. And then um, Louis? Hmm. You know, when, I, when we started The Cove, uh, and I you know, had the money to, to start making it, I, but I'd never made a film before. I met Steven Spielberg. We were on vacation down in the Caribbean, and he, he was, you know, my, my son was playing with another kid on the beach, happened to be his kid. He came over to the boat that I was on as a, as a visitor, and I said, you know, Mr. Spielberg, do you have any advice for a first-time filmmaker? And he said, yeah, never make a movie involving boats or animals. And, and so, I mean, like, yeah, so, so, so you better believe in yourself because, you know, you know, that, because every, everything I, I was just told was that, you know, the, the cove involved a lot of boats and a lot of animals. And, you know, it, um, so, yeah, I mean, like, when you, it's almost like a startup, right? When you're starting a film, you have to get investors, you have to get, you know, convince the, the crew to work crazy hours, you know, and, and it's all for this dream. And if you're a venture capitalist funding somebody, like a startup like us, what they, they don't look for the smartest guy in the room because the smartest guys in the room, they can't get through, like Sean was saying, it's hard to, you know, when you're five, four or five years into it, you know, and a smart person, <laughs> They'd be doing something else because this—it's yeah. not a great business, you know. That's the—it's it, it, not in terms of money, you know. It's, a, it's a, so unlike us. It's like a startup in a lot of ways, but like the, the payoff for us is really, you know, culture change. You know, that's that's what feeds us, right? I mean, some of some you know some documentaries make make money, but most of them don't. So you have to be uh, driven by your passion, absolutely, because you know everything's telling you that you're nuts. You know the bank, the bank, your friends, your your lovers, your uh, culture, and so you you better be 100%, you know 120% confident that you know you're doing the work of angels because um, there'll be a, a gazillion, there'll be a lot more people. Busy. Listen, we wouldn't have to be doing this work if you know the culture was on track, right? You know we're you know we're trying to you know shift it before it's too late. So, yeah, I mean, you know, venture capitalists, they look for the passion in, a, in an individual. They're not looking for the next brightest idea necessarily. They're looking for somebody that can, you know, bring this company for, to fruition. Oh, wow. And we're going to end on this question. Usually it's the first question I throw out whenever I do a podcast or an interview. But it was brought up by Didi again, Didi Dillingham. What was the catalyst for each panelist, um, plus myself, to go vegan? Huh. Give you guys a second to think on that first. And then, um, Keegan, do you want to? Oh, Louis, do you want to go first? Looks like you're ready to talk. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, I wasn't vegan when, it, when I started the Cove. I was pretty far from it. You know, I was, I mean, I stopped eating. You know, I would say land animals after I went to a slaughterhouse, but I, I was still of the school that, you know, I had to eat, you know, some meat to be healthy. And I was uh, down at, in L.A. for the Academy Awards and I met my the first vegan that I that I knew. And it was uh, uh, well, I would had mercury poisoning. That's what put me mm -hmm. over the edge. I had not just a little bit. I was a pescatarian. So that's what I was eating for, for animal products. And I, it wasn't just a little bit. I had like mercury through the roof. Uh, like 44 parts per million in the blood, which was like, you know, stupid. And so the doc, my doctor said, you, you got to stop eating. And I was just a shock, like, what the hell am I going to eat? And I met my first vegan. It was Rebecca Mink, the designer. And I remember she said, uh, I asked her, I said, like, what do you eat? And she says, everything else, you know, all protein originates in plants. And it was like that kind of shock. And she said, what do you, you know, what do you put on a burger? You know, you know, I was like, well, tomatoes, lettuce, mustard, tomatoes, those are veggies. 
know, everything that, you know, there's, I, there's, I understand this. There's a lot of people that like the taste of meat. I, I, I liked, you know, other things besides, I like the veggies. So, I mean, that, that was, that was the, you know, I, I wish I could say it was, you know, I had this amazing epiphany, but it was really my health. It was a, you know, a self-centered reason. And uh, what about you, uh, Mark? Well, you know, actually, it was a documentary. I watched uh, Baraka by Ron Fricke. Um, mm. um, it was 99 or 2000. And there was this scene where they're sorting the, the male and the female chicks and mm. debeaking the, the chicks afterwards. And I didn't know anything about it. I was a vegetarian for four years. And then, I mean, it was before the Internet, so it was a bit hard to find information on that subject. But... I dug into it and then I decided to go vegan after that. And Sean? Um, I've, I've told the story before I saw footage. Uh, ironically, a, a documentary um, had nothing to do with animals. It was uh, called Heart of Darkness. It was about the making of the film Apocalypse Now. And um, uh, it was made by Francis Ford Coppola's wife, who was married to him at the time when he made Apocalypse Now in the 70s. And if you know the film Apocalypse Now, it ends with the uh, assassination of Brando's character, but it's intercut with uh, a ritual where they hack a caribou to death on camera. This was before the animals could be, you don't want to kill animals on, on camera, but they could do that up until the mid to mid seventies or so, mid to late seventies. And the documentary showed where they got the idea for it. And it was showing slaughter, slaughtering in this ritual slaughter of these animals. And, and so I was, I was struck by it and uh, began to research and that was the, that was the beginning. So I suppose because footage, footage was the way that spoke to me. I used um, footage because I don't write books or um, I don't have an organization or anything else. I guess footage was a teaching tool for me. So I found that as a tool to pass on. It got me on my way. Okay. And Keegan? Um, I was really fortunate. I was raised vegetarian and uh, we were raised with two rules, which was question authority and don't hurt anybody. And wow. We were, yeah, ethical vegetarians, but uh, when I was 11 years old, 12 years old, I heard this band called Earth Crisis, a hardcore punk band, and they talked about going vegan. And they talked about the dairy industry and the egg industry and how violent and horrific it was. And I thought, well, that's, if I'm eating dairy and eggs, then I'm not doing no harm. I'm, I'm harming others. And it was because of that band that I became vegan. Wow. So cool. And um, I want to close on this give each of you an opportunity to say some a few remarks maybe tell people about some of the films you want them to check out that you you were involved with whether directing or producing um so this is your opportunity to um have last remarks to our audience so we'll we'll get started with um, mark this time uh the end of meat is available on amazon in the u.s and on tubi for free i think oh, and on amazon for free as well and uh, yeah, I mean, check out the other guys' films. They're way more legendary than mine. So, And um, Sean? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so great. There was a list that just came out, I think, this year of that someone put together of, of documentaries in the last 10 or 15 years. And it was tremendous to see just how many that were, were coming out and more, I guess, this year, um, pandemic aside. So it's very encouraging to see um, more filmmakers getting out there and conveying this message in, in, in different ways. So I am, uh, I look forward to seeing as many as I can and, and supporting those filmmakers, just like I like to support vegan vendors or vegan restaurants, you know, that are opening up and try to share what we can about other people and help shine a light because you never know what little avenue someone else might pick up on something or hear something like Keegan, you know, hearing that band. It's actually funny you mentioned that because I remember, buying a Moby CD in the 90s, which is about the same time I saw that documentary. And Moby's first CD uh, is called Everything is Wrong. And I literally <laughs> bought the CD. And, and, and if you open it, the liner notes are full of statistics. Like, he, like, it's like a handwritten, you know, they printed it, but it looked like he filled every white square corner of, that, of those liner notes with statistics about factory farming. And, and I remember reading it and thinking, so, so you see, you never know what, you know, we, we're, we're planting these little seeds. You never know where something might take root. So it's kind of beautiful. We're all gardeners, you know, casting seeds and we don't know 
we don't know what fruits may come of it. So I think it's beautiful that all this stuff keeps coming out. I'm so grateful for it. And Louis? Yeah, well, I mean, we've, we've only done three films, uh, the, the Cove, Racing Extinction, and The Game Changers. And I think you, you can see Game Changers on Netflix. Um, but, you know, we're, we're working on a half a dozen other films. So I'm, I'm more excited by the stuff that's coming up than what we've done. But if anybody wants to look at, you know, talk to me, if they want to, if they have, uh, you know, somehow you survive the, the economic crash, come and talk to us because we need financing. You know, these all, all these films, you know, um, you know, we're, we're changing the world. We just need help. So come come talk to me. Uh, Louis at opsociety.org. And then I'll finally Keegan. Um, yeah, I mean, I want everybody to watch all of these incredible filmmakers' films. Each one of them are masters at their craft. Um, I've got a, three films I'm working on right now. One of them is on food justice uh, called Hungry for Justice that I'm co-directing with my friend John Lewis, a.k.a. Badass Vegan. Uh, and then another film, uh, yeah, we started seven, eight months ago on pandemics, and that should be wow. out this year, um, and and a whole bunch more. But firstsparkmedia.net would be a good place to check it out. But yeah, there's there's so many incredible films, so many incredible filmmakers, and yeah, as everybody said, supporting each other is is really important. And I want to thank you all for coming on, taking time out of your day to talk to each other as well as our audience about films, topics that matter to all of us. And if you're watching this right now, we're going to be continuing to have these panels throughout the rest of the weekend, soflowvegans.com slash expo. And you'll also be able to get direct links to some of the panels you may have missed, as well as this panel if you want to rewatch it. So thank you all so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Hope to see you guys in person one day at, at one of your premieres for your future documentaries. But uh, until then, stay safe and have a great day. Thank you, Sean. Appreciate it. Hi, I'm Mark. I'm owner of Lee's and Roots Lounge. Come to Leaves and Roots Lounge, we sell kava exotic teas and vegan munchies, 100% vegan kava bar. I'm located in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida in the Flagler Village area. We've been around for about a little bit, about a year and a half now. Kava is the root from the Polynesian Islands, comes from the pepper plant, it kind of relaxes you, um, can influence uh, GABA and dopamine, which gives you an uplifting effect, uplifting mood and can give you like a positive vibe, increase sociability. It's a little bit earthy, but it's like an acquired taste. Once you get used to it, you'll start liking the taste of it. Same way like how uh, people drink uh, beer and other types of liquors. I think our kava is really strong here uh, at Leaves and Roots Lounge. Um, it comes from Vanuatu, one of the highest qualities over there in that island. We double strain it uh, to get all the grit out and all you're drinking is just the liquid itself. Kratom is a tea from uh, Southeast Asia. They kind of gives you an uplifting mood. It's related to the coffee plant. Well, our kratom is really strong, but really smooth at the same time. And it's uh, triple strained, so it's really smooth. There's no grit at all. We have a vegan pizza made from a local vegan chef here in Florida. We have a vegan meat lovers pizza with BioLife vegan cheese and like different types of meat, such as like Gardein and, and, and Beyond Meat. We have chicken nuggets. Uh, they're really good. They're vegan chicken nuggets. Um, we can make them buffalo style. We can do uh, bar barbecue. We have a side of a vegan ranch to go with it. We have french fries. We can air fried french fries. We can uh, throw some Cajun seasoning on there or just throw some salt. Oh, uh, we also have a uh, field roast vegan hot dogs. Uh, we can throw mustard, ketchup, sauerkraut, relish. Any condiment we have, we can throw it on there for you. We are at half capacity at the moment with uh, Fort Lauderdale laws. We're following CDC guidelines to prevent any uh, COVID spread. We ask all our employees and all our customers to respect everybody's space, six feet apart. Um, uh, when you walk through the door, make sure you grab some hand sanitizer and keep mask on at all times. Uh, we also have, um, we just put on our, uh, at our bar, we just put some plexiglass to cover for, for safety of our employees plexiglass so nobody um, sneezes or gets really close to the face so we do care about our employees as well we have great happy hours right now 25% off all you can drink kava and karatum teas our happy hour is uh, from 4 to 7 25% off all you can drink kava and karatum 
on Saturdays it's 11 to 2. If you have a Leaves and Roots shirt, then you can uh, have extended hours from uh, 11 to 4. So two hours extended for people that are wearing a Leaves and Roots shirt. And Sunday all day, 25% off Cobbler and Kratom Tees. And we want to thank you for listening to another episode of the SoFlow Vegans podcast. Remember, go to SoFloVegans.com slash podcast for more episodes as well as finding ways to subscribe. We want to thank our panel, Sean Munson, Mark Purcell, Louis Sayoyos, and Keegan Kuhn for joining us today, as well as Mark from Leaves and Roots for allowing us to showcase his business to the world. Today's episode was produced and edited by Sean Russell. For more information on opportunities with SoFlow Vegans, visit soflowvegans.com opportunities. Goodbye.